first in a four-part series on human-centered leadership. This episode is a conversation with the man who likely coined the term. Anthony Howard, known as the CEO Whisperer, is the founder of the Confidere Group, a CAO mentoring company and author of Humanize, Why Human-Centered Leadership is the Key to the 21st Century. We talked about what good leadership looks like, business practices that dehumanize people, and predictions about changes in the economy resulting from technology. So I'm speaking with Anthony Howard, founder and CEO of Confidere, a CEO mentoring firm, and author of Humanize, Why Human-Centered Leadership is the Key to the 21st Century. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Thank you, Dasha, for your interest. So tell us why you wrote the book. The, uh, the book is the fruit of sort of 10 or more years of conversations and, and reflections with leaders around the world. And, and the work we do, um, mentoring CEOs, invites an interesting question. What kind of world are we in? What kind of leader do I need to be in that world? And so I went and spoke to a lot of leaders around the world about their experiences and what they have and, and And I found that people were on a search for a new and different kind of leader. And the way they framed that was often where the new Mandela's. And when I delved into that question, they, they described a moral leader, a visionary leader, a sort of man or woman who stood above a lot of the challenges and issues of the day and had a new and fresh perspective on things. And I asked them, well, where is this person? How do you become that person? Where do, where do we find them? And, and as that conversation ensued, it morphed into uh, human-centered leadership. And then that term emerged in a conversation with some of the deep girls dancing one day. It says that when someone comes to them with a design issue, they start with a human being who's going to be the user of the product. And they said, we call that human-centered design. And the structure, that's what I'm talking about here. You know, that, that leadership is fundamentally a relationship with another person. And therefore, it is by virtue of being leadership, it is human-centered leadership. That, that was how the book came about. So why, why do we need human-centered leadership today? Um, there's a number of factors that factors at work. One of the big ones is I, I think we are tending to treat people. You know, you've heard this wonderful term, people are our greatest asset. Mm. Um, that you know, we have human resources departments now. We have human capital movements. There's always this sort of terminology that treats people as a means to an end. That treats people that monetizes people, for want of a better word. And and we we see you. Uh, in terms of economic value or economic contribution, well, I think we need to stand back from that and say, no, the person is an end in themselves. You know, that work should, for example, should be a place where the human being flourishes and becomes all that they can be, rather than someone who's just used and spat out at the end of the day, you know, having sort of delivered a result for a company. And, and leadership has been structured around getting stuff done. Uh, you know, I'm being a little bit simplistic. Getting stuff done rather than really developing people. And so I think a movement of human-centered leadership is actually let's start with the people, the people who work for us, the people who use our products, the people who supply our products, the people who are impacted by our products. I, I, I think that will create a different kind of world. So before we get into what human-centered leadership is, I'm curious what your thoughts are about some of the symptoms of the lack of human-centered leadership. And as you say, you know, seeing people as you know, a means to an end. What what are what are the symptoms that you see in workplaces and with CEOs? Um, broadly, that's the whole depersonalization or dehumanization 
kind of movement. But the, you know, if you think about the uh, stress people are under at work, if you think about the way people are treated, um, the expectation that's put on them to perform. I mean, so here's, here's an example. You know, I know of people working in aged care, this, this wouldn't be exclusive to them, who have to clock on at the start of the day to an electronic fingerprint reader. If they're not clocked out on the six minutes of their start time, their pay starts getting docked. Oh, wow. the, the expectation in this industry, and that they wouldn't be alone, is that pretty much, even though they have legislated right to break, the reality is in those environments, they work exactly. You know, sick people don't say, you know, I'm going to be well while you have a break. And so, so they work incessantly. And then when their shift is finished, they usually stay 30 to 60 minutes afterwards, handing over to the next shift. Do they get extra pay for that? No. Mm. So that's a really uh, impersonal, dehumanizing kind of environment. You, you are treating me as a machine to do a job. That's just one example of the kind of horrible practices that um, that occur when we when we don't see the person, but we see you know them as a machine mm. and they do something for us. Yeah, right. So let's get a little bit more into um, what human-centered leadership means to you. Um, human-centered leadership, I think, has two two dimensions. So one is the person who is the leader, so myself. Um, and the other is the relationship with others. So first of all, it starts with who I am. I'm, I'm using Yahweh, obviously not in terms of but, but everybody. Um, who am I? What kind of person am I? Who, who am I today? Who am I becoming? And and this really is fundamentally a moral question. And and the moral question is not, not simplistically, you know, what is right or what is wrong, but a moral question is how do I become the best person that I can be? Does, does this act that I'm about to do help me become a better person? These are questions of character and questions of what the ancient Greeks called, called virtue, wisdom, courage, justice. You know, these wonderful um, virtues that enable us to become the best person that we can be. So, so the first thing is human kind of leadership is me being on a, a permanent journey, if you like, towards becoming the best person. And of course, I never reach it because <laughs> we, all, we all fall short at times of and what we're trying to do. And the second dimension is me interacting with others. Now, I believe that everybody is a leader at some point. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, when someone looks at you and says, um, you know, you're doing this, and I'm going to copy that, in that moment, you're a leader. Mm -hmm. So, so leadership is not a role. You know, leadership is something that we exercise and and that people see, and someone copies that. In that moment, I'm being a leader. And so leadership, good leadership, has three dimensions. The relationship, influence, and purpose. And so human-centered leadership starts with the relationship. There's, there's you and I in a relationship. And do I see you as a person? Or do I see you as a means of that? What's the attitude I bring to that? How do I influence you? Do I, do I lead you as a person? Or do I break like, you command and control? kind of, you know, authoritarian kind of approach. And, and most importantly is purpose. What, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, we're not just running a bank here, you know, we're trying to improve the financial lot of, you know, Australian struggling take, you know. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the genuine existential purpose for, for why we use? People want meaning and purpose at work. Mm-hmm. And so I think human-centered leaders integrate all those things, their own self-awareness, 
their understanding of others, their understanding of um, how to get stuff done through people in a human-centered way and purpose and meaning. So do you, do you think it's on the rise? Do you think there's more of this happening in the world? Uh, I, think, I think there's a... Um, um, the answer is yes and no. So I think, um, you know, if I just look at, it, at what I consider an existential threat to humanity, so Elon Musk um, has called this an existential threat, an existential threat to artificial intelligence. Um, you know, robots are doing more and more human jobs. Now, I'm not anti-technology. You know, I'm not saying, you know, well, let's, let's stop the march. Um, and nor do I necessarily believe in the, in the Terminator scenario where the robots will overrun the world. Yeah. But, but my concern is that um, robots are, are becoming humanised. Mm. And humans are becoming mechanised. Wow, okay. And yeah. the very time we're treating people as machines, we're treating robots as humans. And, and, and this is mm. a really... This will be a big challenge for the 21st century. What does it mean to be human when the, when the, the object sitting beside you could look like a human being, could think like a human being, may even appear to have human emotion, but it's not a human. Hmm. And not only that, that object will work 24 hours a day. That object will never take a break. Hmm. How will we treat people? So, so just look at language and the way people describe um, in, in business and in the press, there's this mechanising language creeping in. Hmm. And so um, I think a response to that is a human-centred response. So, so to answer your question, the yes and no, I think it's under threat, but I think there's a movement towards what I call, and you call human-centred leadership, there's a movement towards saying, hey, you know, we can't lose sight of the person hmm. in the midst of this. Yeah, it's interesting because I think of um, you know the the future of work as um, I guess I'm thinking of it as a real opportunity to distinguish ourselves, given you know the potential for massive job losses as a result of uh, mechanization, automation, all that sort of thing, um, and perhaps the skills of the future and hopefully the now um, are are to to really amplify the humanness of us. And to look at things like emotional intelligence um, as a you know the, the thing that makes us human, and and to to um, recognise the importance of that, and especially in in working with other human beings. I'm curious in your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I, I think we're shifting from a um, leaving aside the, the the threat of artificial intelligence and what what that that will bring. We're shifting from. Um, a knowledge economy into what I've called an emotional economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in an emotional economy, economy, human touch will be the luxury item. Uh, wow, yeah. And so you, and certainly I, would be prepared to pay a premium for human touch. Mm. So, so let me give you a very simple example of that. You know, imagine if um, when I ring um, my telephone um, company or my airline or whoever it might be, um, you know, artificial intelligence recognizes my phone number coming in uh, on the line, yeah. and it knows that I'm t- I've paid a premium, $5 a month, dollar a week, whatever it is, I've paid a premium to talk to a human person, not a machine. Um, yeah. And that the, the company, so the airline, has invested in the emotional intelligence of those people. Mm. So when I talk to them, I genuinely am meeting a real human being who cares understand how to get from me rather than just, you know, reading the script, script 
going through a process to get on to the next person who's you know, coming through on the line. Mm. So um, that's one example. Another example, you know, um, Watson, the um, artificial intelligence computer built by um, IBM, is the Mayo Clinic is using Watson to do diagnostic work more effectively than doctors. Yeah. So very shortly, um, diagnostic capability will be done by machines. The human touch element will be done by nurses. Mm. And so, so that nursing, you know, I think the person who cares for me when I'm sick, the human touch element, that job will be a, a premium job rather than the doctor, mm. which will be an emotional economy and inversion of, you know, that the, I don't really need the doctor now because I've got this Watson doing it for me, um, but I sure need that nurse who's holding my hand saying it will be okay. Wow, what a role reversal that's going to be. Yeah, yeah so um, human touch will be the new luxury. Hmm, interesting. Um, so if, if we wanted to have more human-centered leadership in the world, what, what do you think is important as we, as we look at how, how that might happen? Um, it's, a, it's a big question. For the, the first thing that I think we have to answer, and even though these answers would be slightly different for, for all of us, but the first thing we have to say is what kind of world do we want? Hmm. You know, do we, want, do we want a world of caring? Do we want a world of sharing? Do, I, do we want a world where, um, you know, the human person, I, you, we can, you know, grow and flourish and become all that you can be? Now, I, I think most people default to yes. I think at the same time, most people go, yeah, you know, we're talking about utopia there. Mm. Um, I think utopia is okay in terms of an aspiration. Yeah. You know, we can aim towards this kind of world, recognizing the difficulties inherent in that. The moment you say, this is the kind of world that we're trying to develop, you then almost automatically raise the question, what kind of leaders do we need to lead us in the, towards that kind of world? Mm. And therefore, we need something that fosters, I believe, human-centered leadership. Or at a minimum, something that um, rejects those forms of leadership that power or command and control or authoritarianism. Um, you know, you know we, we need things that sustain society and sustain people rather than those things that damage people. So what do you think it's going to take to shift our values towards that? And perhaps not just our values, but our behaviours and our actions that create society that, that does value caring and sharing. Uh, I think the, the systemic forces are against us. So, um, you know, if you look at pay scales and what people are awarded for um, and with the way money is made, you know, you, you could argue that money is made on the back of greed and these sort of things. That, you know, I, I'm not fatalistic from that point of view, but I'm saying that, you know, there are um, forces that make it very difficult to build the kind of world that we aspire to. Mm. Um, I, I, I would like to think one day we may reach a tipping point, but we reach a tipping as in when um, you know human-centered leadership you know, becomes um, if not the norm, something yeah. that people are rushing towards. Yeah. I think we only reach, reach a tipping point because people like you and people listening to this, as you say, I'm going to be a human-centered leader. Mm. I'm going to say, and this happens in two ways. One, what I do and the way I treat others. But it's also what I refuse to accept in the people who are leaving my country, my company, my community. 
um, where, where I refuse to be a bystander, I say, well, that's, that's unacceptable. Mm. You, you can't treat people like that. You know, that's, that's inappropriate behaviour. And, and perhaps one day the message gets through. Mm. Wow. So what would you say to our listeners about, um, about becoming human-centred leaders or increasing the, the skills needed to become human-centred leaders? Mm-hmm. 
And, and that led me down the track of studying um, and learning more about emotional intelligence and the impact that I had on others. Mm-hmm. And, and so just saying, okay, so when I meet people, I will make a point of smiling. I will make a point of looking open to them. So even though I might have felt open and, and felt interesting, genuinely was, that's not who they said. And so I realized that, you know, I had to be very, very aware of the impact that I said I had on others. And, and I know for a fact that changed my leadership from the point of view of the team that I was with and the feedback that I then got mm-hmm. from those things. Wow. So I've heard some people say that they doubt that emotional intelligence can be taught. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I, I would disagree with that. Um, you know, I, I think that's a bit like, um, you know, painting. Um, we can all learn to draw, but we're not all going to be a Michelangelo. Mm. So, so I think we can all learn basic skills of emotional intelligence. You know, and and mm. frankly, we have to, you know, mm. that emotional capability to understand um, once I've understood myself, I need to understand my impact on others if I'm going to be an effective leader. Mm. And the emotional aspect of that is crucial. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, thank you for your And uh, hopefully we'll talk again sometime in the future. And that be good. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, despite some of the background noise. I sure did, especially some of the things he said towards the end. You'll find links to the show notes to find out more about Anthony Howard and his book, Humanize, Why Human-Centered Leadership is the Key to the 21st Century. It's worth reading. It's written for CEOs, but it's valuable for anyone interested in leadership. So you can find those links at Tathra Street forward slash podcast. That's T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T-R-E-T dot com forward slash podcast and look for episode one. I also invite you to check out tatherstreet.com forward slash book to find out about pre-sales of my book on the topic of human-centered leadership. It's a guide for managers and team leaders on modern people management, an exploration of the skills and mindsets that will have us thrive into the future. Lastly, if you've enjoyed this, share it, like it, comment, leave a review, and we'll see you next time.